Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 8. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse, verses 9 through 25. And uh, i tell you right now, probably what we're going to emphasize today, and this is just where the first service went, and, and I'm okay with that because of the way this, these narratives flow together. Uh, we're going to spend most of this, this message today focusing on Philip and on the ministry to the Samaritans. So we'll briefly uh, mention and, and address Simon. He's going to be part of this. Um, but then next week, as we, we, we go into the Ethiopian eunuch, we'll, we'll also conclude some thoughts about Simon and his salvation and this little issue he had here at the end of this narrative and, and, um, and flushed out a little bit. But we're not going to get to all of that in detail this morning. But uh, I want us to turn in our Bibles, and I want to read this together. And then uh, I want us to have a, a pray, actually a prayer together, uh, just asking God to instruct us this morning and illuminate our minds as we study his word. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. but They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Pray this out loud here with me as we begin. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, grant that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will Cherish it and live by it with all earnestness to your praise and honor through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been in the presence of a celebrity? Someone famous, maybe someone rich, powerful? Um, I have a 
couple times, and the, the most recent uh, was uh, Zach's baseball team a couple years ago. His, his baseball coach uh, played uh, Division One college football, was recruited by Nick Saban uh, when he was at Michigan State, but ended up playing uh, at Western Michigan. And, um, and as part of that and being, uh, being in that world, he uh, became really good friends with a guy named Matt LaFleur, who is the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And um, so Zach's team, after the season, uh, Bill, Coach Bill was going to have a cookout at his house. And he invited us all over, and, and uh, I got there with Zach. He said, hey, Craig, come here, I'll tell you something. He said, I didn't want to advertise this, make a big deal. He said, you get all these lunatics who would show up, these Green Bay Packer lunatics, like, you know, Jimmy Murray and, and Derek and, you know. Um, and he said, but uh, he said, my, my good friend Matt is going to be here. Uh, and actually, he said his brother's coming, too, and his brother was the, uh, the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets at the time. And, um, and so I'm already, like, I, you know, love Bill, but I'm like, oh, this is the coolest, you know. And sure enough, these guys show up and just super cool down to earth. But the whole time, I'm like, you know, I'm like 47 years old or whatever at the time, and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm 16, you know. And I'm like, oh, what do I say? I want, you got to make sure they think I'm cool, you know. And then we go downstairs, and Bill has this... He has this weight room that I can only dream about. It's all like rogue equipment, and it's beautiful. And so I'm standing down there with Bill and Matt LaFleur, he's an NFL guy, and we're talking like weightlifting. You know, and they're talking about, you know, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and I was like, I'm such an idiot, you know, I feel like a little, and um, man, I was like intimidated, and, and you wanted, you didn't want to look like an idiot, and, and you, right, you ever feel that way in the presence of someone powerful or great, a little intimidated, a uh, little like out of sorts, and uh, that's, that's the situation that, that uh, Philip found himself in, 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 at least in regard to the celebrity. He was in the presence here in Samaria of, 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 a celebrity, a powerful, well-known celebrity who people loved. And as we're going to see here, Philip didn't care. Philip didn't miss a beat. Philip didn't shy back and have like stumbling over his words, trying to look cool in front of the celebrity he was with. He just stood up and delivered the truth of God's word in a bold and confident way. I want us to learn from that here these next couple weeks as we watch Philip and observe his life. As we unpack this text, we have to just take a little bit of time, and I know a lot of you, are, you know, have a, some context about the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, but that's operating in the background of this whole passage, that, that bad blood between these two groups. It's significant to really understand this and, and grasp this. Okay, so we talked last week a little bit about where some of this started was when uh, the Assyrians came in and, and deported the northern kingdom and uh, some of the, the Jewish people who were left there intermarried with some of the Assyrians who settled there and they had this offspring. And, and so the people who were true Jews viewed this group of people, this offspring of the Jews and Samarit- or the Assyrians, uh, as, as just lowlifes, half-breeds. Um, didn't like them at all. The animosity ran deep. And we see as, as time goes on through the intertestamental period that the Samaritans reject the temple at Jerusalem. They reject all of the worship that's associated with it. And they even construct their own temple on uh, Mount Gerizim. And we learn, we see, read about this in John 4 Jesus and the, and the woman at the well. 
the, the Samaritans rejected uh, the, the Hebrew scriptures, everything except for the Pentateuch. They kind of invented their own Messiah. And to top it all off, at about 167 BC, they invited Antiochus Epiphanes, who had come into Jerusalem and sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple. Uh, they invited him to their temple to come and, and, and dedicate it to Zeus. So right there, you know, the fact that they're friendly towards this guy who, who, who committed this abomination of desolation in the Jerusalem temple, the fact that the Samaritans are cozy with this guy uh, did not <laughs> go well at all. And just a few years later, in 107 B.C., one of the Maccabean leaders, John Hyrcanus, uh, actually goes into Samaria and destroys the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerasim. Uh, so these guys didn't like each other. A long history of bad blood. Jews regarded Samaritans were disdain, with disdain. They weren't allowed to intermarry. In fact, Samaritans weren't even allowed to convert to Judaism. This is like crazy. They'd allow Romans, you know, you could be another Gentile, but the Samaritans were not allowed to do that. The animosity and division was so great. In John chapter 4, verse 9, John tells us that they did not associate with one another. Okay? Just wanted to put that historical context because it comes into play here. It's significant as we encounter this passage in Acts. So we'll kind of allude to that again as we go, but I wanted that to be running in the background as we unpack, unpack this text. So first of all, here's, here's, here's some takeaways then from this account of Philip and the Samaritans. First of all, this. People's hearts are easily captured. I have to work around flags here. Uh, easily captured by evil power and worldly greatness. People's hearts are easily captured by evil power and worldly greatness. We see that before Philip had arrived, that Simon, this magician, had been practicing magic, right? Previously, been practicing magic. Today, we would refer to this brand of magic that Simon was practicing as witchcraft. This was uh, the occult, uh, sorcery. It wasn't this, you know, sleight of hand, this illusionist type of thing where you're not looking. And I, you know, this was predicated on the existence of dark forces and the ability of these people, uh, these magicians, these sources to interact and somehow engage with these spiritual dark uh, forces. That's what's going on. Justin Martyr, uh, one of the church fathers, wrote about Simon. And he said, Simon did mighty acts of magic by virtue of the art of the devils operating in him. We find evidence throughout the ancient Near Eastern world of spells and incantations. Uh, Simon, this is probably one of those things that became urban legend, but this is the degree to which he practiced magic. Some, some, some of the legends even say that he could levitate. Um, so whether he could or not, he was a powerful person. His power was real. And we acknowledge this, right? The, the dark forces of this world, the spiritual realm, do have power. Uh, we see that in Mark chapter 5. Remember, Jesus goes across uh, Galilee and meets the demonic man there who's possessed by many demons. His name is Legion. And they tried chaining him. And what did he do? He just continued to break the chains. That's real power. That was demonic power. You, you go back to the Exodus, and Moses performing his signs before Pharaoh. And right, remember at least the, the initial, some of those initial signs? Pharaoh's magicians were able to come and imitate some of the signs that Moses was doing, right? That's it's real power. Now we see in all of these instances, ultimately, that that power is limited, right? The demon possessed man, ultimately, legion 
The legion of demons acknowledges who Jesus is, and they're begging Jesus not to bind them. Uh, right? They're acknowledging his power, their, their limitations. The musicians in, in Pharaoh's time, at the end of the day, there came a point where they could no longer mimic <laughs> the power of God flowing through Moses, and we see it here. And ultimately, Simon acknowledges that the power he's practicing is less than the power being demonstrated through the Spirit of God and the gospel proclamation. So he practiced magic before Philip got there. The people of Samaria were amazed. The people of Samaria were amazed. Um, Historical writings tell us that Simon was known throughout the the, the known, uh, the good part of the known world at the time. He he was known as far away as Rome, which is amazing when you think of that time period. You know, he wasn't posting his tricks on Instagram. Or, or TikTok, you know, so they weren't all just seeing it on the internet. I mean, if he was known that far away, he did this for a long time, and that news spread over great distances. So this guy truly was a celebrity. The people of Samaria were enthralled with him, the text says, from the least to the greatest, everyone paid attention to him. He was a celebrity. He became an authoritative voice there in Samaria. As I was preparing this, I, I stopped and I thought, you know, it's, it's worth asking the question here. What authoritative voices do we allow to speak into our lives due to their celebrity, their status, or abilities? Right? Even we as Christians, we're so easily enthralled by celebrity. We live in a culture that loves celebrities, but even in the Christian culture... We can become enthralled and we find out that this actor is a Christian or this, this, this athlete is a Christian. All of a sudden, we, we elevate them to a position of authority. Where they're the, the ones who are speaking and, and, and uh, they're the ones that we're, we're listening to. It's a dangerous game to play. What celebrities have you allowed to capture you? What celebrity have you allowed to speak authoritatively into your life. I think along with that, you could further that question and say, yeah, what, what have you allowed to capture you? What holds you by its magic? What magic has got your attention, has got your commitment and dedication, your awe, your wonder? Is it prestige? Is it money? And if I'm honest, I look back and I, I'm not sure it was all bad that God allowed my shoulder to get shredded twice. You know? Because maybe, if I'm honest, doing some physical activities, maybe it just started to become a little too important, a little too much of an emphasis. Sometimes God has a way of going, hey, that's too important in your life. I'm taking it away from you a little bit. So you get, right? Yeah, maybe that was a magic that, that got a hold of me a little bit. What is it for you? What magic have you allowed to grab onto your life? This man is the power of God that is called great. Simon saw himself as this great divine power, perhaps even equating himself with God. He allowed himself to be deified. Justin Martyr goes on to write, I forget which river it was beside, but there was a great monument to Simon with this inscription on it. It said, to Simon, the holy God, I was struck with this, that false idols and imitation heroes often dominate in the absence of truth. 
in Jesus Christ. False idols and imitation heroes often dominate in the absence of Jesus Christ and of truth, right? We're worshipers. That's what we do as humans. We like to worship things. And there's this void. Augustine talks about this, right? There's this void in our lives, and we're going to fill it with something. We're going to worship something. And if we're not full of God's word, and if we're not enthralled with Jesus Christ, something is going to fill that gap in, and we will worship it. This, this is significant for us as parents, right? As families. What do, what do your kids worship? Right? If you're not giving them Jesus Christ, if you're not filling their lives with Scripture and the Word of God, they will find something to worship. In the void of Jesus, right? In Samaria, there was a void there. There was a void of truth, a void of Jesus, and they just filled it in with worshiping Simon. We do the same thing. I love it that my son likes sports and we watch the NBA playoffs and he loves Jason Tatum and, and like we talk about like man look at Tatum you know he's got his own line of shoes and he wears different colors and Zach's aware of that and it, that's cool that's fine but, but, but I want Zach to be so full of Jesus and God's truth and, and, and watch people uh, who are godly godly examples here at church missionary friends Right? They're not superheroes. Phil and Susie aren't superheroes. But I, I, I want my son to, to acknowledge that kind of example, living his life for Jesus Christ. I, I want that to fill that void. So there's a little bit of room there for Jason Tatum, but that's all he gets. The rest of it, he's worshiping. He's full of something else. What are you full of? In Samaria, there was a truth gap. There was a Jesus gap. And it got filled with an evil magician named Simon. Don't be guilty of the same sin in your own life and in the life of your family. Right? It happened in Samaria. Something will fill the void. It's good news. We just alluded to this. The message of Jesus in the kingdom eclipses worldly power and gives us something better. Right? The Samaritans were freed when they believed in the message, right? After they were presented with the kingdom and the gospel and true power, they believed. They were freed. You've heard me brag about my, uh, my seafood, my New England seafood, right? This is, a, um, this is a seafood platter. That's how you say it. Seafood platter, fisherman's platter. Um, if I had never grown up in New England, didn't have this around the corner from my house. By the way, you notice something? Look at the tables in there. The best seafood places in New England, you're eating like at picnic tables, so just if you ever go, look for that type of place. That's where they'll have the good seafood, right? Um, but if all I had ever known was dead lobster, red lobster. All I ever known was red lobster. It's good. It's a good restaurant. I, we eat there. I like red lobster. I'll eat there in a case. But that's all I ever known. Oh, man. Right? I'm missing out. I mean, you look at that pile there. Those clams, this would mean nothing. Those clams have bellies on them. They don't, you don't get that at Red Lobster. They leave the bellies on. You, you know what I'm talking about, Scott, right? You've had real soup, right? It's the, the bellies. You need a little salt, even a little sand in your teeth every once in a while. That's when you know you're, ah, that's the real thing, right? Um, if I would know one was Red Lobster. It's, right? We go to New England, my sabbatical. Sitting there with my kids at Joe's, right on the wharf in Boston. 
take a bite of the fish. I look at my family I'm like, this has never seen a freezer. <laughs> may not have even seen a refrigerator because it may have just to come out of the ocean. Like, this is the real, right? That's what happens. When Philip walks into Samaria, he's like, y'all just been eating that red lobster. <laughs> Let me give you seafood here. And they see something better, greater, right? We're saying it, there's nothing better than you. That's what he showed them. So Philip goes here to tell him this. Philip goes into this hostile and dark territory where their greatest celebrity was a sorcerer. And I love this about Philip. He's not intimidated. He's not enthralled by Simon's celebrity. Right? If he was here today, if Philip was alive today, the amount of Twitter followers would not have bothered Philip. He wouldn't have cared. Hollywood wouldn't have intimidated him. He would have proclaimed God's truth. They wouldn't have been afraid to cross the tracks. There used to be a picture we used to see it uh, when we go to Calvary Baptist for the church ministers' conference. I loved it. It was, a, it was down the hallway just past their big rotunda. And it was there on the right. And there's this picture, and it was this, looked like me, uh, like a black preacher, I think was the idea. It was a black preacher. And he's standing there, and he's got these people behind him. I'm, I was assuming like it's, it's the church, and there's this railroad track, and then there's the city. And he's standing there, and he's got a slingshot in his hand. It's just kind of hanging. And, and what the picture is capturing is, is this, this man, this preacher, about to cross the tracks and go bring the gospel into a rough place. That willingness to do that, determination to do that. That's what Philip provides us with here in Samaria. He preaches the good news about the kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. He preaches the kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. Simon would have said, I am the power. Philip has nothing of that. Philip's display of power is, I'm going to preach Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's why he was more powerful. He wasn't great. He wasn't elevating himself. He was pointing to Jesus. Simon pointing to himself. The reason why power was displayed in Samaria is because Philip was just a vessel that proclaimed Jesus in the kingdom. That's why it was powerful. It's a great blessing, great encouragement to us. I wish we had time to unpack this. This is just a loaded statement, too. He preached the kingdom of God. Catch this. He's preaching the kingdom of God in Samaria. Who thought they had exclusive rights to the kingdom of God? The Jews, right? He's preaching the kingdom of God in Samaria. They didn't belong there. No. <laughs> They're part of this now. The Samaritans. Hundreds of years of animosity. Part of the people of God. Part of the kingdom. It wasn't just us anymore in regard to the Jews. We do the same thing, right? Sometimes. Sometimes it's just us, right? Do we think just us? Do we have people who we don't think it would, you know, the gospel wouldn't extend to or shouldn't extend to? We can view, right? Muslims, LGBTQ community. Oh, it's not, I'm not going to proclaim to them. They're not going to come to Christ. Can't be, can't be including them. Well, 
ABWE years ago was doing a, a seminar. They'd travel and, and uh, help uh, instruct people on how to share Christ with Muslims. It was phenomenal. One of, one of the, the, the people who was part of that team uh, was a uh, Muslim background believer. And she would go to these dressed in her, her, her Muslim clothing. And they found something over, over the, the, the amount of time that they did these seminars. They found that when they would go into these churches, you know who was talked to the least and engaged with the least out of their group of people? Is that lady dressed as a Muslim. Kind of a, a bit of an avoidance. Now again, some people benefited out, could be intimidated or whatever, okay. There's probably a little bit more to it than that though too. You know? We need to proclaim Jesus and the kingdom to them because God wants them as part of the kingdom. They need to confess the name of Jesus because the invitation extends to them. Of course, there's a contrast here between two powers, light and darkness. Light and darkness. Who really speaks and works for God? Is it Simon or is it Philip? Well, of course, we know it's Philip, right? And we see as it unfolds that Philip's message eclipses the magic of the world. John Kimball and I were walking around Sao Paulo when we had our little bonus stay in Brazil a couple, you know, last summer. And uh, there is John. I was, even more than Recife, the, the occult was, was way more visible in Sao Paulo. Um, and and the, in the malls and such is the shoe store, and then there's the satanic store right beside it. I mean, just like all the. I remember as I'm walking around, and, and you could sense the darkness, you could feel it. Some of those places, the heaviness of it. And I remember feeling it, but I also remember too, not because I'm great, just feeling like we don't have to fear that. And in fact, I, feel, I almost feel bad for these people who are captured by that. So we see this, we sense it, we understand its presence, we respect its power, but we also know that it's not the ultimate power, and we don't fear it. We, we seek to help proclaim truth so people are freed from it. Right? That's what Philip does here. The people believe. Right Again, gospel power trumps Simon's evil power. Mark 4.26, time to go there right now. It says the kingdom of God is like seed that's scattered at night. And the people go to bed and it grows and we don't know how. But it grows. I, I love that, the picture of the kingdom. What that's saying is that the, the seed sown, it, it's going to do its thing. The kingdom is going to grow. It can't be stopped. We don't know exactly how it does it, because, but it's its own thing, and it's powerful, and it's going to keep growing. I love that imagery. I, was, I told you a, a few weeks back, I, watched, I was watching this Dubai airport documentary, and um, one of the episodes, I, I didn't know this, they did this. Uh, Paul is going to be like, yeah, of course they do this. But um, on these big planes, every once in a while, they, they take the tail fins off. And, and um, they remove the tail fin to maintenance and put a new one on. And, and it's held on by these pins. That's one of those things I'm like, I, I, didn't, I didn't think I needed to know that. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's these pins. I forget how thick they are. But and there's several of them depending on the size. of the, But here's what they do. They can't just go with a hammer and, a thing and, and punch that thing out. What they do is they have this pressure wrench. And they go and they put this pressure wrench on there. And it could take hours because they have to be, the, the care they have to exercise to not damage the plant or the tail fin. But I was just struck by that. They, they just put it there, they set some numbers, and then that pressure wrench does all the work. And eventually it pops that pin out. And I'm like, ah, that's the gospel right there. We, we just take it up and we set it there. 
All right. <laughs> I proclaim it. I set it there. And then it does its thing. It's got the power. It applies the pressure. It removes the barriers, right? The gospel does. We see that here in this text. It overcame. I have that quote by Augustine. I'll just, I won't take the time to read it now, but Augustine testified to this in his own life. He saw these things that had a hold on him, this power on him, and eventually he released it when he saw the beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel. That's what Philip does here. That's what Philip sees. They're immediately baptized by Philip. I love this. They're immediately baptized by Philip. Baptism, right, as we know, is this ritual incorporation into the new community. Fascinating that the Jews didn't allow the Samaritans to join their community. But here they're embraced in this new people of God. It's a beautiful picture. We're going to close with this. We have to deal with this when you deal with this passage. Verses 14 through 25. You have kind of this weird thing that happens. It seems weird to us. Right? We, we know our theology. We know that when we, when we come to Christ, when we get saved, right, we're forgiven. There's a transaction, a legal declaration. But we also receive the Spirit. There's this odd thing that happens here. They didn't receive the Spirit. They prayed. They received Jesus as their Savior. They're baptized, but no spirit. Like, did Luke mess up? Did he forget to read Grudem? I, you, know, I, uh, um, <laughs> you know, what happened? What, what's going on? There's no other instance outside the book of Acts of this happening. All right? This is unique. The fact that Luke points it out, I think it gives a hint. This is unique. This happens three times, though, in the book of Acts. Where the Spirit is trans, um, is trans, transferred. Thank you. Why did, why did that fall out of my head? We're going to transferred through the laying on of hands. Three times here in this passage. It happens again when Ananias is told to lay his hands on Saul. We're going to get the Spirit to him at his conversion. And the other time it happens is, is later on in... Um, in Acts 9, I believe it is. Acts 10. No, I got it wrong. Somewhere later on. 10. Thanks, Dan. Um, when these disciples of John the Baptist run into Paul, and he's like, have you received the gift of the Spirit? They're like, what Spirit? Lays his hand on them, and they receive the Spirit. So what's going on in those three things? Um, Daryl Bach makes th- this observation. I think he's, this is it, right? He says, each of these is a case where doubts might exist about the experience's authenticity. All three times. And then you have one other time where it's not through the laying on of hands, but Luke makes it clear in Acts 9, the Cornelius narrative, Gentiles, Luke specifically says, and the Spirit came upon them. So you have these three laying on of hands, you have this other very clear declaration of, of, of Luke when these Gentiles come to Christ. And here's what I think is going on. Bach gives us a great clue here. When there is a significant shift, a new people group, the gospel going to a different group of people, what God does is he makes this a little bit more obvious, I think, for our benefit. Again, this doesn't happen outside of Luke, or outside of Acts. Acts is very much a transition book. There's new things happening. I think God, in his grace and mercy, is doing some of this for our benefit. To communicate the legitimacy of this movement of the gospel and of the kingdom. In this case, very significant, this inclusion of the Samaritans. You think about it. 
And that's why we spent the time at the history, on the history of this at the beginning. I think this is part of what's going on here. God is making it very obvious that the days of animosity between these two groups of people is over. They and you are part of the people of God. And the fact that it's Peter and John who come, the apostles from Jerusalem, John who, by the way, at one point said about a Samaritan city, God, can we just call fire down on them? Because, <laughs> and, like, this is the type of feeling they had. The fact that it's two of the leading apostles now coming and putting the Holy Spirit on this, this is what God is doing. For the Jews and the Samaritans, I know your history. It's time to knock it off. To the Jewish people, the Spirit has come upon them. You're done with these feelings of exclusivity. You're done looking down on them. John and Peter, Jewish apostles, are being used to affirm that these people are now in the kingdom, are part of you. To the Samaritans, it's time for you to knock it off. You guys keep going and doing your own thing. Let's build our own temple. Let's create our own religion. Not anymore. You will not go and start your own church. You are part of the people of God. And the Spirit comes on them, and there's this demonstration that I believe is functioning in the exact same way it functioned in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost. The Spirit coming on, affirming. And there's some kind of outward expression of the Spirit's arrival, but this is what Simon sees. And and it's probably similar to Acts 2. It it very well is probably tongues. Some kind of manifestation of the Spirit. But what it is doing is saying the days of animosity are over. And what it does is it recalls to our minds and emphasizes the reconciliation, the conciliatory nature of the gospel. That plays to us today. That preaches to us today. We're not Jews and Samaritans necessarily anymore. But when the Spirit comes upon us, we won't take the time to look at this um, right now, but uh, Ephesians 4, one Spirit. Make every effort to pursue the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Why? Because when the gospel becomes upon, uh, comes upon, upon a, a people, when the Spirit indwells a people, those people need to see themselves as one. No more Jew and Samaritan. The hundreds of years of animosity are over. You're the people of God. Here's how that speaks to us today. We tend to hold on to things. We tend to still segment. And what this screams at us is we better see ourselves as one. If the Jews and the Samaritans were expected to get along, so too should we. So you might be sitting here today and you still have issues with so-and-so because of disagreements over masks and COVID. If Jews and Samaritans were expected to get along and fix their differences, you better go to someone and have a conversation. So many times we have complaints. I'm not going to do this ministry anymore because they may not. Or my hub group. I don't like the way my hub group is anymore. I'm going to go find another one. Maybe the Jew and Samaritan thing going on here should encourage us to do just the opposite. You're not allowed to separate. Figure it out. Get along. And if their hundreds of years of animosity could be dealt with by the arrival of the Spirit, I think ours should be too. We're going to finish talking about Simon next week. We're going to ask Spencer to come on up, but just some takeaways. Listen. Embrace the conciliatory nature of the gospel. The Spirit coming upon these people in the way it did, I see screams 
that God is about his people being one. Don't get too caught up in celebrity. Don't be intimidated by celebrity. Don't allow celebrity to become an object of worship in your home like the Samaritans did. Put Jesus in those gaps. Put Jesus in those voids. Learn some lessons from this. We'll come back next week and finish up the Philip narratives.